Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to look at idolatry. I don't approach this topic with a finger pointed. I approach this topic um, out of love and understanding of the importance of not having idols in your life, not having anything above God. This sounds maybe antiquated at this point in life or at this time in um, history, but at this time in history, it's no, there's never been a more important thing to grab hold of and to understand than to not have anything or anyone else sitting on the throne of our heart. I was at church last night and I heard a great guest speaker who spoke and touched on this. He mentioned one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 115, that we're going to look into that addresses this topic so perfectly. It is awesome the way the psalmist just calls out idolatry and its falsehoods and its emptiness. And it's also the first commandment given to Moses by God. So this is going to be a combination of looking at idolatry and the emptiness in it and also the first commandment. And I've wanted to cover all 10 commandments throughout this series. And this is going to cover, like I said, the first commandment. So without any further ado, here we go. Okay, so like I said, we are going to start in um, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verses 2 and 3 that cover the first commandment. And then I'm going to jump over to a book written by D.L. Moody called The Ten Commandments, in which this great preacher offers great commentary on the first commandment. And then we are going to finish up here in, like I said, Psalm 115, where the psalmist just perfectly tackles the emptiness of idolatry. And again, I approach this topic as someone who had idols in my life for the first 40 years of my life, really. I mean, I just, you know, um, as much as I knew God my entire life, I never let God truly sit on the throne of my heart until just recently when, again, I came to the end of myself and realized there's really nothing else important enough in life to even think about than to really just meditate and totally focus on the Lord. And I'll be honest, since I've done that and made that conscious choice and taken conscious steps towards God, he has just blessed me in ways I couldn't even tell you. I mean, the grace God has, the love, the forgiveness, um, you know, it's uh, it's the realest thing in life. I It's the only truth in life. You know, you look around these days, everything's fake news. You can't trust. I, I can't trust any media source at this point because everybody's so biased and opinionated. I just can't get a straight answer. It feels like, you know, I'm sure I know I'm not the only person that feels that way because it's just so confusing. And it's frankly just so annoying at this point. I really don't pay attention to any major media. Um, you know, I'm aware of what's going on in the world, but I don't get into the whole agendas and the ideologies that these groups want to push, be it 
Fox, be it MSNBC, CNN, I don't care who it is. They're all biased. They're all full of their own agendas. They only care about themselves. And you really need to step back and look at what you're taking in and think about what's influencing that throne on your heart. Because again, the only person that should be on that throne is Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else. Nothing else. So, all right, let's get into Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And then my Bible notes quickly down here, my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible. It says for verses 2 and 3. God proclaims triumph for his people, not over them. I am the Lord your God, identified the speaker with the one who performed the miracles of the Exodus event. God's character demands loyalty. The believer demonstrates loyalty by worshiping the only one true God. And again, an idol can be anything in your life that you hold higher regard for than God. Again, this is for Christians. This is this is obviously speaking to people that believe in Jesus Christ, that believe in God. And if you have anything in your life that causes you to even stumble or hesitate when it comes to God telling you something, get it out. I'm telling you right now, there is nothing in this world or life no one, no career, no amount of money, no gift, promise, whatever you want to call, whatever that idol is, do not put anything before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, it's because he's the best thing in life. He will bless you. I mean, he is the beginning of everything. You have to understand that. He's the, he is the author of our salvation, okay? He loves us. He wants to bless us. He wants to provide the things that we all have a desires for in our hearts at the appropriate times in our life. But he cannot do that if we have idols in our life that we put before him. It's not that he's incapable. It's the fact that you will not allow him to. Again, this is a relationship with God, of reciprocation, of relationship. No relationship is one-sided, and you can't think God is just – God's not an ATM machine where you just go run up and ask for things, and it's given to you. That's not the economy of God. The economy of God starts with us giving him everything, us giving him every area, and letting him work the way only he can, and he will bless everything you want. He – trust me. If he removes something from your life, it's for your own good. But whatever he removes, he will replace with things of him that are so good and eternal that those things you thought you wanted, those people you thought you wanted, those relationships, those items, those idols that you thought you wanted, trust me, when you experience the grace and goodness of God, those things, whoa, not even pale in comparison, they will be just 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 imagine you know something being vaporized because that's literally the exact 
vision I see when I think of the, the those types of things compared to, you know, just, just a few months ago, my, my perspective and my focus compared to what it is now, uh, it's just God in such a short amount of time has done so much in my life. I literally day by day, I mean, I, I can't even begin to describe the blessings and the grace and the goodness that is found only in our God, Jesus Christ. So let's see here. I'm going to look now at this, again, this passage written in D.L. Moody's book, The Ten Commandments. And um, here we go. He says, feeling after God, philosophers are agreed that even the most primitive races of mankind reach out beyond the world of matter to a superior being. It is as natural for man to feel after God as it is for the ivy to feel after a support. Hunger and thirst drive man to seek for food, and there is a hunger of the soul that needs satisfying too. Man does not need to be commanded to worship, as there is not a race so high or so low in the scale of civilization, but has some kind of God. What he needs is to be directed aright. This is what the first commandment is for. Before we can worship intelligently, we must know what or whom we worship. God does not leave us in ignorance. When Paul went to Athens, he found an altar dedicated to the unknown God, and he proclaimed to tell of him who we worship. When God gave the commandments to Moses, he commenced with a declaration of his own character and demanded exclusive recognition. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee of the land, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Dr. Dale says these words have great significance. The Jews knew Jehovah as the God who had held back the waves like a wall while they fled across the sea to escape the vengeance of their enemies. They knew him as the God who had, spent thunder, who had sent thunder and lightning and hail, plagues on cattle and plagues on men to punish the Egyptians and to compel them to let the children of Israel go. They knew him as the God whose angel had slain the firstborn of their oppressors and filled the land from end to end with death and agony and terror. He was the same God. So Moses and Aaron told them, who by visions and voices in promises and precepts had revealed himself long before to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We learn what men are from what they say and from what they do. A biography of Luther gives us a more vivid and trustworthy knowledge of the man than the most philosophical essay on his character and creed. The story of his imprisonment and his journey to Worms, his letters, his sermons, and his table talk are worth more than the most elaborate speculations about him. The Jews learned what God is, not from theological dissertations on the divine attributes, but from the facts of a divine history. They knew him for themselves in his own acts and in his own words. Someone asked an Arab, 
How do you know that there is a God? How do I know whether a man or a camel passed my tent last night? He replied, God's footprints in nature and in our own experience are the best evidence of his existence and character. We're going to move on to a section here called No Compromise. This is one matter in which no toleration can be shown. Religious liberty is a good thing within certain limits, but it is one thing to show toleration to those who agree on essentials and another to those who differ on fundamental beliefs. They were willing to admit any god to the Roman pantheon. One reason the early Christians were persecuted was that they would not accept a place for Jesus Christ there. Napoleon is said to have entertained the idea of having separate temples in Paris for every known religion so that every stranger should have a place of worship when attracted toward that city. Such plans are directly opposed to the divine one. God sounded no uncertain note in this commandment. It is plain, unmistakable, uncompromising. We may learn a lesson from the way a farmer deals with the little shoots that spring up from around the trunk of an apple tree. They look promising, and one who has not learned better might welcome their growth. But the farmer knows that they will draw the life sap from the main tree injuring its prospects so that it will produce inferior fruit. He therefore takes an axe and his hoe and cuts away these suckers. The tree then gives a more plentiful and finer crop. So quickly to Moody's point there, when he mentions that um, that house that Napoleon had um, contemplated to basically build um, different houses of worship for every religion except Jesus, which is one reason why the Christians were persecuted. It's funny, um, you know, again, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I just read this article recently, and here we go. Berlin thinks it is making religious history as Muslims, Jews, and Christians join hands to build a place where they can all worship called the House of One, as it is being called, will be a synagogue, a church, and a mosque under one roof. You can't make this up. You, I mean, you talk about a one-world religion. You talk about the direction that this progressive movement is going, these false lying Christians that call so-called that are universalists, sheep in wolves clothing, um, excuse me, wolves in sheep clothing, <laughs> um, And here we go. An architect competition has been held and the winner chosen. The striking design is for a brick building with a tall, square central tower. Off the courtyard below will be the houses of worship for the three faiths, the synagogue, the church, and the mosque. It is to occupy a prominent site in the heart of Berlin. So I'm not going to get into too much into the plans here, but basically, as you can see, Literally going right against the first commandment. Again, I mean, always, you know, the world, it's always these recycled ideas, these recycled concepts. People think they're coming up with new ideas, original ideas, original philosophies, lofty, um, whimsical types of, um, you know, um, unions of religions and things like that. But let me tell you, 
Universalism has no place in true Christianity. No true Christian can be a universalist because of the first commandment right here. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the God, the creator, the triune Godhead, the one who created man in his image. There's one God, one savior, one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus Christ. And it's funny, he's the one who's always excluded from this world religion because he is the only truth in this world. Very simple to see. This is a brief episode I'm doing right now, but I am going to dig into this soon enough. But I do want to touch on Psalm 115 because, again, the psalmist just beautifully, beautifully just lays out exactly what idols are compared to the real Lord God. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. So quickly here, the notes state the contrast between the spiritual God who reigns omnisciently and omnipotently and the metallic idols who are limited to the space of a carved image is so telling that it makes idolatry absurd. See Isaiah's further mockery in Isaiah 44, 12 to 20. We're going to flip and end there, but I do want to quickly note here on this last verse, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. The root word for idol is worthless. So then, their worshipers become worthless and corrupt individuals. And I mean, there's there's no arguing there what the word of God says directly about idolatry. There's a good reason why the very first commandment God gives is to not have any idols before him because they are dead idols. They are false. And when you worship them, you become like them. So um, we're going to end here again with Isaiah 44, 12. The blacksmith with his tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks one out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it with a compass and makes it like a figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, but it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread.
Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for he, God, has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So right there, quickly, Isaiah is just talking about basically somebody that, you know, cuts down a tree, uses half of it to, for practical use, you know, firewood to cook meat and to live, and then takes the other half and carves a false image out of it again. Although it can have ears, it cannot hear. It may have eyes, it cannot see. It may have a mouth, but cannot speak. And then will fall down and worship it. That image right there completely, perfectly paints the foolishness of idolatry. And it is not hard these days to look around and find an idol. I mean, from the, the garbage that fills social media to the garbage that fills our televisions, there is just garbage everywhere. And Satan at this point is so involved and so uh, just prevalent through the technology that we carry around with us all day that the idolatry that is available today is unlike any in the past. Before, again, you had to go and actually create these idols at this point. These idols sit in our pockets every day. The phone itself may not be your idol, but the, the, the content on the phone between the pornography, between the just the, the despicable social media and the horrible impact it's had on humanity. Um, if you look at the, 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 the way we treat each other these days, it's a direct result, I believe, of the way people interact with technology. It has actually transferred into real life to where people are just hostile, aggressive, violent in a way that we've never seen before. And, um, you know, again, this, this isn't to point fingers. This is to say, I've been delivered from idolatry simply by saying, God help me. I don't want this in my life. I want no other idols. I want nothing before you. I want you to be the God of my heart. And this goes hand in hand with the, you know, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and it's very easy to call Jesus your Savior, but that's only half of it. Is he Lord of your life? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? 
that is the most important and essential question because, again, simply put, you shall have no other gods before me. I'd highly encourage you, shed whatever it may be in your life that may be an idol right now. Repent, ask God to be the Savior and Lord that sits on your heart, and he will do that. He will replace any false, empty idolatry with himself, his goodness, He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you the joy and peace that we all crave and desire. And then that very indwelling of the Holy Spirit allows you to see what life truly is about, serving God, and also ultimately living that life. Because again, God would never ask us to do anything that he's not going to give us the power to do. He's a fair and just God. So... I'd highly encourage you, shed those false idols, press into God, get into his word as much as possible, pray, surround yourself with godly people, not just friends, but examples, people you can look up to. I have some friends that are much older than I am. Sometimes I get looks out in restaurants. They may think I'm out with a group of you know grandparents or something or that I'm taking care of them, but I call them friends because they're my friends. I see them for how God sees them. I don't see their exterior. I know them as people and their souls. And they're some of the best people and some of my best friends in life right now. So again, I'd encourage you. I love you enough to tell you, take those idols, throw them in the fire, let them burn how they deserve to be burnt. And let Jesus be your only God and put nothing else before him and he will greatly bless you. That's that's the amazing part. God does all that for us because he loves us. He wants that fellowship that was lost in the garden when Adam fell. Jesus came, died on the cross to restore that fellowship. And that's the fellowship that myself and many other Christians, true Christians, um, are blessed to enjoy. So God bless and have a great day.